The following programme is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you with thanks to TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is Matt O'Keefe and you're very welcome to The Farm Show. On the programme this evening, we chat with Jim Bergen, the CEO of Tierlon. Elsewhere, Siobhan Kavna will be talking about uh, environmental awards that Chagask are running in the coming months. And we'll have a preview of the Tillage Conference, the Chagask Tillage Conference that's happening just down the road in Lairath Hotel next week. But all ahead of us, including livestock reports. First of all, Jim Bergen, you're very welcome into studio and thank you for making the effort. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. Jim, um, let's start with the big news that we got uh, last week, I think, uh, that you, you've announced your imminent, almost imminent retirement from next July. You've given it consideration, obviously, because you made it clear to the board that that, that was your agenda last June. Have you enjoyed it? 40 years? Ah, sure, I have enjoyed it, Matt. Yeah, sure. It, you know, it, it's it, it's very like farming, actually. You know, when you, you don't look at it like a job, never have, didn't look like the, didn't look at the organisation like it was, you know, work. Um, in fact, one of the philosophies at work now is, you know, that the integration of, of, of life and personal life and work and all of that, you know, is, is very different to what it used to be. Um, but, uh, I have, yeah, I've enjoyed it as I've been privileged. Um, it's just been my life, you know, so, so you could say it is what it is, but it has been superb. Yeah. And this could like sound like um, 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 permanent incarceration, but you you are a lifer with with yes yeah with Avonmore, yeah. Glanbia, Tierlon. Uh, absolutely. Well, no, I actually left for one year, uh, so I joined Avonmore as a graduate in 1984, and and uh, you know it's worth remembering. Half my class left uh, left Ireland, had to emigrate to get to get work at the time. So it's really grateful just to get into Avonmore House and get a job. And and uh, but a couple of years later, I, I was studying in Dublin, going up and down two or three nights a week for for lectures, and and I, I decided to to leave. Um, but which was one of the great lessons in life. I got a job in in a company in Kildare, and it had a lot of uh, different uh, cultures and uh, behaviours and all of that, that that left a good bit to be desired. And and within fifty one weeks, I was back down in in Avonmore again, and I never left because I just realised the quality of the people there, you know. And and they were, I suppose they were my type of people as well. And I just ever since I've never considered going anywhere else. Yeah, because of course you you are for those of our listeners who don't know you are a Kilkenny man, Ballaragus, am I right, right originally? Yeah. Mill Hill Fathers in Freshford, and then on to Cork for a BA. That's for a BCom, yeah, a BCom, yeah, no, absolutely, apartment, yeah. yeah. So actually, very local, you know. One of the privileges is that I, I've never had, uh, even though I've travelled a lot and and I did over time uh, with the company, but I've never had to relocate. So you know, I've spent twenty five years in Ballyragget in the factory. And, uh, you know, when I was a young fella working at home on the farm, the factory was being built and you'd hear the siren for lunch and, you know, for, for finishing in the evening. And, you, you know, of course, the farmers worked on two or three hours after the siren. But but um, I grew up with it, you know, and then to, to spend 25 years out there was a real privilege. And to know so many people in the locality and all of that was, was fantastic. And then the rest of the time I spent here in, in Glanbia House uh, living in Kilkenny, you know, Kilkenny, the quality of life in Kilkenny is just superb. And uh, to be able to do that for so long and live at home with my family every night has just been been fantastic. 
Now, when when you mentioned Avon Moore in 1984, my memory escapes me. That was still a cooperative. It was, absolutely. So it moved from cooperative to PLC and and now the full circle. Yeah, so so, um, it started as a co-op at that time. 1988 became the PLC. Uh, 34 years later, then in in April of 2022, we we, we transitioned to a co-op, as I say. Um, But the, I mean, the, the huge achievement in that time was that that, Two billion euros was created on behalf of farmers, and about nine hundred million has been transferred out to them, and and another one point one billion is held in the in the balance sheet of the co-op. So, incredible credit to the people who had the vision to do that at the time. You know, Pat O'Neill, Stephen uh, in Waterford, uh, John Duggan, you know, in, in Avonmore as well, and and Johnny Dowley, I think, in Waterford. So, um, you know, incredible vision and courage to go and do that. And and it, you know, as we know, I suppose over the years. The PLC and the co-op haven't always been easy bedfellows because there's a, an objective from a farmer perspective, farmer shareholder perspective, and an objective from a PLC shareholder. So, you know, there was always that uh, bit of angst, I, I'd say, between the two. But, you know, we, we can't say, but it has really worked, you know. But but now life is simpler. We, we've become a co-op again. We have our new uh, name and brand image to your lawn. And um, we've just finished a round of, of farmer meetings uh, and you know my reflection on it is that the that the conversation is just uh, singular now. So you know we can say to our farmers, whatever we make, we, we retain a small profit, it's about one and a half percent, and everything else goes to the farmer shareholder. And that's just such a, a more simple message than the way it used to be. Um, and farmers are not without their worries, but it, it is a simpler model now. And and important to say as well that the organisation is is a future for focused organisation. You know, uh, people used to say you're going back to a co-op, and, and we we used to say well we're not going back anywhere. We're going forward here, and we'll have a co-op. You know, focused on the future and development appropriately as an international organisation. Yeah, and you mentioned those information meetings that are held annually right up along the the east coast, and you've had an online one as well this year. Yeah. I know you're talking to uh, you and your colleagues talking to farmers the whole time and the board is predominantly made up of of, of uh, producers but uh, it's still a good refresher course I assume to know what's going on uh, out on the farms Oh no absolutely I mean you, you can't you know over the phone or, and, and the webinar works very well for a lot of people that don't want to travel but like as we are here now there's no replacement for the chemistry between people so if, if we walk into a hall you know you'll know straight away what the mood of farmers is um, and then you have the, the two and froing and the debate and you have all the different characters um, and, and you know all of that it builds a DNA and builds a culture um, and uh, as you said you know going out on the ground meeting people having a cup of tea afterwards having to chat about this and that and, and uh, there's no replacement for that and I hope it's never replaced yeah the restructuring the 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 bringing back of the of the processing into into producers hands was I thought handled well it, it was done over stages without yeah. the big bang and and it's been a success. Oh, absolutely! Well, it, it's it's a success now. But, but I mean, at every stage, like if you go back to to twenty thirteen, if 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 you if we think, you know, one lens on it is the the expansion. You know, so since twenty ten, we have expanded by ninety five percent, which is an incredible credit to our farmers. Uh, firstly, but but uh, we spent uh, six hundred million during that period, uh, uh, and and put the the, the capacity in place. Um, but uh, this year, uh, we have this uh, borrowings level similar to 2013. 
So our finances are, you know, after all that expenditure is back to, to where it needed to be. Uh, the joint venture, as you rightly said, it, you know, it was a big, big event in 2012 to, to you know, to, to form the joint venture. Then in 2017, we added agri, agribusiness and, and consumer to it. And then in 2021, 2022, we moved back into, into the full, full ownership. Uh, I think it is really important. Um, I think the co-op model today is probably the best model, I think, for farmers. It's, you know, it's, the world is more volatile and more challenging now. Uh, and to have that kind of singular agenda with farmers and focus on a single shareholder, given the challenges that are there, it's very important that we're all in it together now. Um, and, and that has worked well. But, you know, on the other side of that, then, you know, Siobhan Talbot and John Maloney ran an incredible PLC, created huge value you know, a global organization as well. And, uh, you know, followed the strategy of nutrition and an incredibly valuable organization today also. So it's it's great that in Kilkenny, we have two head offices with two very, very large global organizations now uh, and a huge amount of wealth created for two sets of shareholders. Now, just as a, as a last comment, perhaps, Jim, on um, your experience in, in, in various levels of management, right up to CEO of Tierlon at this stage, was there much of a difference in business culture between being a co-op originally, being a PLC then, and the and the strictures that put on you, and back to a co-op? Was was it to the benefit of the of the organisation generally? Ah, uh, no, absolutely. I mean, I suppose every organisation is of its time. You know, you have to say that. And and like when I was in the co-op first, I didn't. I was only a junior graduate at the time, so I didn't know a whole lot about how it was being run or what was being run. But but all the time, you know, there's continuous improvement. And I, I spent a lot of years with Billy Murphy. I, you know, and we developed the agri business uh, over time, and that just became a great business. Uh, very, very tight on costs and farmer farmer uh, competitiveness and all of that was a, was a big part of it. But the, I think the, the you know the message all through was was continuous improvement. That's what is expected, and you have to focus on that. Uh, but uh, you know the the entry into the PLC, and it's easy to look back now. The entry into the PLC presented a whole different set of of expectations. You know, and, and the, the first is the whole lot, the regulatory side of it, you know, that you have to have things, you know, done to the letter, whereas in a co-op, that's some bit more more relaxed. You're not reporting to the stock exchange. Um, but then the second part of it is that, that uh, investors in PLCs expect a curve that is going steadily upwards all the time. Uh, you know, and we know that in the in the the, the real world, it's very hard to, to deliver that all the time. So, so definitely the disciplines of a PLC, the focus on strategy, uh, and you know, a, 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 a hard driver and demand for ambition and 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 delivery. Um, it, the, the co-op model is different, uh, but for a, a co-op today to uh, achieve and to deliver and to and to prosper, uh, it has to have the very same disciplines. And and Tierlawn, to be quite honest, is in a really great position because um, we have, you know, ninety percent of the people in it spent years in 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 the PLC, and now they're in a co-op, so they can drive the strategy, drive the operations in the very same way as you do in a PLC, but with a co-op ethos. And the interface with our farmers then has to be around the co-op culture. Uh, and it's managing that and, and, and evolving now with, with the strength, with both strengths. And we're able, I think we're doing that reasonably well, but we'll be measured every year. Well, you certainly will. Um, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned how embedded, uh, how, how, how participative, uh, Avonmore 
Glanbia Tirlan has been and continues to be in Kilkenny. And of course, that's synonymous with hurling, yeah. even 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 today. Yes, even today. So, you know, one of the highlights of my year so far and, 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 and perhaps of my career was was to be able to go over to Nolan Park today. Um, Nolan Park is hallowed ground at the best of times. Uh, but to go over there today, we had the, the, the members of the press and, uh, and the media. Um, and we, I suppose consolidated the tier lawn sponsorship of the Kilkenny hurling team and and it was the, the most important part of that is the Avonmore brand um, but it's it's a great opportunity for us also to to establish tier lawn and for people to become more familiar with that because that takes takes a bit of time uh, but it's a 30 year relationship at this stage uh, 11 all Irelands you know in in what's a, a relatively small county um and yeah, i think the, the the way that that it works you know uh in terms of providing um, nutritional products like protein milks and and ways for for the players um and then the interaction you know for events and promotions and all of that is is absolutely seamless and you know i've been i went over there last october as it was my first time to be in the bowels of nolan park I haven't been there a million times before that but to understand how the organization works uh, it's voluntary nature you know a, a, an amateur organization and to see just how a huge organization in terms of the number of games the stewarding around big matches uh, you know the organization of referees and all that uh, it's just incredible what a small number of people are doing uh, and and just uh, it seems like a willingness from everybody just to keep it working and, and ticking over, you know. And I often said that that if it was a professional organisation or or a corporation, I should say, like like we are, I, there'd be a fine head office to run it. You know, it just is is incredible. The, the you know the voluntary uh, support and and participation and and it's just so deeply embedded in in the in the rural community and the urban community in Kilkenny, um, and it's very like ourselves, I think. You know, so like Tirlawn, we have uh, 52 branches, uh, you know, on the, in the east of Ireland. Um, and we have our advisors, 40 of them out every day working with farmers down the highways and byways. Um, and it's a, it's a great consistency between the two organizations that we are, are both so embedded in the community and both such big supports of the community as well, because the GA is, is an incredible support for the community. And of course, it's personal for you as well as professional in, in professional in the sense of, of, of you being the CEO of a, of a major sponsor of hurling but you love your hurling ah sure I love my hurling yeah so, so sure look in Ballyregis growing up when you had one radio station RTE and, and uh, all there was was the hurling pitch um, I wasn't any good at hurling I have to say but I became a great supporter and, and lover of the game my father went to matches all over the place you know and, and even on Sunday evenings going to Doro I was thinking of the Doro Carnival today and there used to be the tournaments and, and all of that and, and uh, sure look like every day you go in there is a good day and, and uh, you know it's, it's, it's a fantastic tonic we were talking earlier about therapy you know and, and like to go to a match on a Sunday afternoon and see what the rights and wrongs are and all that is, is just incredible yeah, whether whether you're right or wrong in your opinions. Is, uh, well, that's true. No, we have <laughs> several opinions after last Sunday, but but uh, look, at, very sorry for the O'Loughlin's lads, and and uh, uh, we both had relations on the team, I think, and and uh, they did they did well, but they, they just got suckered, I think, in the end by a brilliant score. It was a tremendous score. Oh, now, brilliant. in fairness, and I wouldn't take anything far from it, but the no. goal, the goal, uh, the goal was a sore one. Yeah, yeah with all the yeah. technology, you know, absolutely. One one, one, one would be surprised that that's still 
can happen. Yeah. Uh, back to the day job, yeah. Bellevue, where are we now? Oh, sure, look, Bellevue, as, as we know, Matt, we talked about a lot, uh, two years on from, from when we expected to be producing cheese. Uh, yesterday, we had a, had a red litter day, the first block of cheese came off the line. So, it's, it's only to start, you know, one truck of milk has gone in, we've run that through the lines, now they'll, they'll commission, you know, over the next month in particular, um, but it's fantastic to see the first block of cheese and the plant is, is enormous. You know, it's it's not like any other cheese plant in Ireland. Most of the cheddar plants are vertical, so therefore they don't have the footprint that this has. This is lateral, so you have a you have a brine bath in it, which is the size of a, an Olympic swimming pool. Uh, you have all the, the 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 block formers, which are, are lateral as well. Um, so the footprint is massive, and it's it's highly automated, highly sustainable. We have about eighty new jobs down there now. There's about five hundred people have worked on the construction side for for the last couple of years, and like from the time construction started, it has just been incredibly quiet. You know, even even inside in 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 our own business, like the amount to talk about it has been very little. It just the, the team down there got on with it. You know, a very experienced team now, both from Aware and and from ourselves. And uh, you, you like you know, where the items that we could control have been trouble free so far. And and uh, you know, we look forward to to that. That'll be there for the next fifty years. It'll pay one hundred and twenty million euros a year out to to the people of of Kilkenny, Waterford, and Wexford. Um, and you know, long may it be there, and, and uh, hopefully it'll. it'll and of course, deliver. adds to the, the the regional economy, the national economy, yeah. exports. It's our uh, right. and farming and food production remains our biggest single indigenous industry. And I'm looking forward to sampling some of this now. So Matt, I, look, you you'll promise first, me that the first the first proven block. I'll 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 have it delivered straight away. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I know what the whole lot That's of it. Now you understand. I would, but, uh, give you a block. I would be looking. I would be. I would. I would be looking forward to it. Tell me, um, back to your plans for the future again. I know you play golf, maybe not as a professional level, but you love it. You love it. Remedial level is 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 what I call it. So so it is. But I love golf. Yeah. Um, uh, so what I do is, if people ask me, you know, do you play golf? I say, well, I play my own golf. So I, I I'd often go down to Mount Juliet or over to Kilkenny, and and at eight o'clock in the evening, and and. Uh, I'd hit a few balls and, and I could be there with my pal Billy Murphy and there'd be very little golf to be all about everything else. Um, and uh, it's it's great therapy to hear the birds singing at eight o'clock in the evening and, and to, to hit a few golf balls in, in a summer's evening. There's nothing nicer. And who knows what the future holds for Tierlon. Um there's still room for consolidation in the da- the dairy sector generally. Will that continue to proceed slowly uh, sure, but surely? Yeah. I, I mean, the, the natural evolution of things is that consolidation happens, you know, and and uh, the strongest take over the weakest, you know. That that's the way it is, and across the globe, you know, I, I, and it's just probably a matter of fact that Ireland hasn't consolidated at the same pace as other countries have, you know. Where if you look at the Dutch. Uh, and the Danes, you know, one organisation owns maybe 85% of the milk pool. And, and um, uh, so scale, I suppose, is, is an important thing. I, I do think that, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, we have come through, uh, you know, a period of very slick supply chains and, uh, you know, technology and being able to track trucks and, and ships and planes and all of that. And it has become very, very slick. And, and in the last two years, I think all that has been thrown up in the air, even even through COVID, it was thrown up in the air, you know, with ports backed up. Uh, but now we have two wars in the world. We have trading blocks that are, are, are unwilling to trade with each other, putting up tariff barriers uh, and a good bit of disruption and higher interest rates as well. So, um, I, you know, I, I hope that, that 
we get back to where we were, but at the moment it's, it's quite disrupted. And, you know, that makes it harder on, on businesses then, whether farmers or, 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 or processors, uh, to do business and, and achieve everything that they want to achieve. So, you know, if you're strong in those situations, it presents opportunity. If you're weak, it presents risk. Um, so it, uh, I probably prefer if Ireland had, had greater scale and be able to dominate some markets more on, on an international front. But look, you, you, we are where we are, are today, yeah. Yeah, I contrast the positive way that Avon uh, Moore managed the process of, of, of uh, change over time and back to being a co-op and uh, owning the assets and so on, compared to Kerry where, you know, and I think it's, a lot of it is because they failed over a long period of time to reform the register at regular intervals and make sure that active people were only involved. But anyway, that's, 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 that's all for another day. I will ask you to come back in before you finish in July. I'd love to have another chat about other aspects of the, the industry at, at all levels. I remember sure. chatting to you just prior to the, um, the demerger, we'll call it that. Yeah. And I asked you on behalf of farmers, were you staying on to see it through? And you did. And thank you very yeah. much for that. And thanks for coming in this evening. No, thanks, Matt. It's always been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Chagask has its Environmental and Sustainability Awards uh, coming up. They're closing date at the end of February. To tell me all about it, Siobhan Kavanagh of Chagask, and as we would have spoken to her before, a member of the Signpost programme. Siobhan, how are you? Good evening, Matt. How are you? Great, thanks. Siobhan, FPD are putting their, their money where their mouth is. There's a €30,000 overall fund attached to these awards. There is indeed. It's a very decent fund. The overall prize money is 30,000 and the overall award winner gets 10,000 euro of that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's very attractive now. It's, if you're, if you're doing a good job in the key areas that we'll talk about in a few minutes, yeah, it's certainly worth looking at for an awful lot of people. And I think we have, we know from the past that awards like this are great to create a bit of awareness around technologies that we want adopted on farm, whether that be the EBI competition of old or the grass 10 competition that's still running at the moment. They are powerful in terms of promoting and, and encouraging people to adopt the technologies that are important at a particular time in, in the sector. Yeah, an awful lot of farmers, I would suggest, have bought into the whole concept of yeah. being able to farm productively and profitably whilst at the same time aware of their role as custodians of the environment and the landscape. Yeah, and I think, like, one thing is to promote environmental sustainability in farming, but the other thing is to give recognition to the progress that people have made in improving their environmental sustainability while at the same time maintaining production and, and profitability. And I think we have to be very careful that with this award that we can demonstrate to the winners that, yes, we're making progress in terms of improving environmental sustainability, but we're not doing it at a cost to productivity and profitability. And, and, and that's what we want to be able to do. We need to be able to do both. And that's what this, this wants to do, this, this program wants to do. And, and not only just recognize the progress that farmers are making within the sector, but also to the general public and everybody else out there that, yeah, because farmers are making progress and are interested in this. And we've, we've had a good bit of interest already in it. Like there's a lot of farmers thinking about it because they reckon they will tick, they might not tick all the boxes, but they'll tick a good proportion of them. And the four key areas, I suppose, Matt, that we're interested in is, one, greenhouse gas um, emissions reduction. So that's adopting the key technologies to reduce greenhouse gases. The second one is improving water quality. So what are farmers doing on, 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 on the ground to improve water quality? Uh, what are they doing to enhance biodiversity, whether that's 
improving the management of existing hedgerows and um, other areas of biodiversity around the farm or incorporating new trees or new hedgerows. And then the last one is the whole area of soil health and carbon. And we know that we are very much reliant on soil health and fertility. And in the past, our focus has primarily been on fertility, but more and more there's an emphasis on soil health and looking after the health of our soils and avoiding compaction and making sure that we can maximise carbon sequestration in our soils. So those four key areas, there's there's a couple of award categories then. So we have an overall award, which is the person that's doing a really good job in all of those four areas. So is is excelling in all of those. That's the overall award. And that person will, will come away with €10,000. They will also have won an enterprise award. So the, there's five enterprise, or sorry, an enterprise or a best of award. An enterprise award is across all the main categories. So dairy, beef is split in two. So you have breeding and non-breeding for beef. You have sheep and the tillage. And these winners will be judged on farming most sustainably within their main enterprise. And then the last category is the best of award. So these are farmers that are doing a really good job job overall, but maybe are doing an exceptional job in one of the key four areas. So reducing greenhouse gas emissions, improving water quality, enhancing biodiversity or improving soil health. So the enterprise awards and the best of awards, they're two and a half thousand euro each. And then the overall award winner will have won one of those and get a top up of seven and a half thousand. So, yeah, it, it is very attractive for a lot of farmers. And, and it strikes me, Siobhan, that this is the, the coming together, the bringing together, if you like, of all the focuses that the schemes have and tier on sustainability payment and so on, because they're all targeting aspects of these awards. Yeah, I think you're dead right. Any of the sustainability programs there that are attached to the processors, they're ticking boxes in each of those four areas. And this is reflecting really the work that farmers are, are the work in the industry is doing to improve uh, sustainability in each of those areas. Like our main focus in, sustain- in signpost is really on reducing greenhouse gas emissions. That's our main focus. But we can't ignore the other areas. So I think it's really good that we've incorporated all four of them in- into this into this awards programme with-, with FPD. Closing date is February 29th. What does a, a farmer who-, who might think that have an opportunity there, what, what does he or she have to do? Yeah, so they, it's an online application process. And if they go into chagas.ie, the website, they'll find the application form. It's a very straightforward application form. So there's not a huge amount of data needed at this stage. Um, having said that, there's kind of a tick box where you identify the actions that you're taking. And then there's a section below that where you put in a description. So if you tick the box to say you're using protected urea, well, you need to be able to say to us, well, I'm using 50% or 60 or 70 or 80% protected urea. If you're reduced your nitrogen, you have to say, well, how much you've reduced it by and maybe what, what actions you've taken to do that. So the more detail you can give us in that application form, it is the better the chance you have of being shortlisted for a visit during, during the summer. So it's relatively straightforward. But a little bit more detail will help to get you further along the, the route towards towards winning one of the categories. So what will happen is we close on the 29th of February. We do a shortlisting process then through March and April. And then throughout the summer months, the judging panel, who have yet to be decided upon, actually we haven't those put together yet, but they'll visit the 12 to 15 shortlisted farmers throughout the summer to get a proper assessment, I suppose, of, of what's happening. And in between, we will probably look for extra data, say, from the AgNav in terms of their emissions or ICBF data or pasture, pasture-based data. So there will be extra data needed. And then we'll announce the winner in a, a ceremony on the 1st of October in, in this autumn. And then the overall winner will hold a farm walk next year and maybe some of the category winners as well. So it's a relatively straight line, a straight process initially to, to sign up for it. And then there will be additional data and a, and a farm, a farm visit, visit and a video to be facilitated then during the summer. 
Just as a, as a final comment from you, Siobhan, the importance of data. You mentioned data, and I see on the promotional material its importance in decision-making on farms. It's important for us from, from an awards perspective that we have transparency and we, and we can, I suppose, show exactly what, why a farmer achieved a particular award from the data. But from a farmer's perspective, and I suppose I'm looking at it from the AGNAV perspective, for a farmer to start off with knowing what, say, their missions figure is for their farm, then it'll help them to make decisions around, well, what are the best actions to take to try and bring down that figure? And that's why we would encourage all farmers to sign up to the signpost advisory program so they can get that number from the farm. And we know from ICBF and pasture base and all the data sources that we have available to us, that data is king and having that data to help make informed decisions is so, so important. And it's no different with this, this competition that we have. Entry for that competition for that awards closes on the 29th of February. You can find the online application on the Chagas website. Siobhan Cabinet, thank you very much for joining us on the Farm Show this evening. Thanks very much, Matt. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Before we go to our next guest, uh, there's a connective, if I can put it that way, diary item that I want to bring you first, and it's uh, Tullaher Glenmore uh, ploughing match. That's happening this coming Saturday on the Walsh Farm at Hoodsgrove, Tullaher. And uh, all entries are supposed to be in, I think, by today or yesterday, but I, I, I'm sure they'll, they'll make allowances. Uh, Ed Forrestal or Philly Hartley won't uh, refuse a, a plough person an opportunity to display their, their prowess. Now, why is there a connection? Because I I'm speaking to Ewan Mullins uh, of Oak Park and uh, the National Tillage Conference is happening at Lyrath next week. Ewan, how are you? I'm very good, Matt. Good evening. Listen, you've got a great lineup for the conference. I attend every year and always a full house and, and, and a very committed uh, audience, if I could put it that way. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it is really the most important event for us of the year, the National Tillage Conference, and it allows us to engage with stakeholders. We have a broad audience, farmers, industry, clients, uh, advisors, and the whole goal of it is engagement. And we, as you know, you've been there for, for many a conference. So what we've done this year to try and, I suppose, promote that engagement more is we're actually going to run a, uh, several parallel workshops in the afternoon session. So that'll touch on many different topics, important in terms of planning for the year season ahead but also more, I suppose, long-term strategic issues as well. Yeah, and I, I've uh, participated in the dairy conference. I've seen those workshops in action. They're very participative. They really do get the people attending to engage on the particular topics. They do, and and in fairness, that that's, what, that's exactly what we want to mirror this year. Um, there's five workshops. One is on getting the most out of your bean crop. We've got disease control decisions for 2024, getting to grips with grass weeds. Grass weeds are a constant problem. They're always going to be in the headlines, and it's really important that we, we have a, a zero tolerance for them. Then we also have two other workshops, one on looking at the recommendations um, that we would anticipate for the 2030 Food Vision Group. And the last one is uh, probably going to be of, of interest to a very broad audience, which is the question, are there synergies for the tillage and dairy sector? So all those workshops will run in parallel. And when people register, you can pick three of the five workshops when you register. That's, I assume, a, a well-planned strategy and approach, a, sort of an overview, a look at the future, as well as the day-to-day challenges, whether it's weed control or pest management or whatever. It is, exactly. It is. I mean, you know, the disease control is constant, like the grass weeds. 
people can go to those workshops. At each, actually, at all of the workshops, there's uh, researchers, advisors, and farmers there will be on the panel. And the whole idea is to take questions, be they very farm-specific. It could be uh, a specific question that a farmer might have about a particular disease control issue or a grass weed issue, and the staff are there to help and support in regard to that. Ewan, could I put it to you that it's been one tough time for all farming in terms of, of weather and pricing and so on, but tillage farming, I think, in particular? Uh, it has. I mean, like we look back to 2023 and that's the backdrop for the conference, Matt. It, it has been, a, a last year was a very, very difficult year and it was a complete contrast to 2022, which if you were to have a, a perfect year, 2022 would, would have been very close to it. Um, we had a very poor autumn and that's really after knocking back the degree of winter sowing and we've had a survey running from for the last probably four weeks from mid-December to mid-January and the data from that will be presented in the first session of the morning by Michael Hennessy and, and what it's telling us is that on average only about 62% of the winter planting has been completed across the farm surveyed. So what that does is it's putting pressure on enterprises going into the spring. They need to make a decision as to what crop to put in and um, so that session is really going to be of a lot of help uh, for people in regard to that. Yeah, and it's going to be challenging with all the changes and the pressures from nitrates regulations and so on. It's going to be challenging to meet uh, the kind of ambitious targets for growth in the tillage sector that, that were heralded there a couple of years ago. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the targets are still there. They're they're there, and that, that's what we have to try and achieve. But there are issues. I mean, we can't. They can't be ignored. And when you look at the challenges, the climate challenges from 2023, and then as you said, there are other legislative issues and impediments. We're losing chemistries, so there are there there are dark clouds there at the moment. But I'm saying that there is a session in the morning as well about the added value opportunities that exist for the tillage sector, and we're very excited about that. We've three presentations, one around the domestic cereals, how we think they can support a more diverse drinks industry. Plant protein is developing as well. Exciting opportunities there from the food industry. And also we have work on the carbon mapping or the carbon footprinting of the tillage sector. We know our sector has a a very good rating in terms of its environmental uh, credentials and the data that will be presented here I think will be very relevant and exciting for people to see. Yeah, no, they're just the basic interdependence that uh, the entire agri sector has on tillage. I mean, I, instance, as a as a, as a dairy farmer, straw resources. Yeah. You know, I mean, that alone justifies the, the tillage industry. If I could put it as simplistically oh, yeah. as that. Yeah, I mean, look, we have to be honest. Like the the country needs a vibrant and robust tillage sector, uh, and at the moment, it is being challenged severely. So that's why we have one of our workshops is really on the synergies for the tillage and dairy sector. Look, there are potential opportunities out there and there's no need for both sectors to be competing for the same blocks of land. Uh, the goal is, is to maintain profitability. Um, and we know, you know, tillage systems would be very happy to take slurries, but it, it has to work. It has to work for both. Um, and we believe that there are synergies there and we really hope that the feedback out of that, out of that workshop uh, will be constructed with some examples and ideas. And one of the farmers at that workshop is going to detail his experience and how it's working for him. It's uh, straightforward to um, apply to attend the conference, so I leave that to people to, to work out for themselves online and that. And I'm not going to go through the various um, 
uh, detailed uh, papers that are going to be presented around mitigating risk to, to yield potential from wheat diseases or crop establishment systems. I want to just for a moment, if I may, Ewan, do a bit of blue sky thinking with you. I, I, I often think, and I don't know whether the opportunities are there or whether they're realistic. For instance, I'll, I'll throw this at you. The idea that uh, gene editing, we won't go near GM, but gene editing could deliver, for instance, um, nitrogen-fixing wheats. Uh, um, is that outlandish? No, it's not. Not at all. Um, I mean, gene editing is as a technology. Another term for it is precision breeding. It allows you to edit something that's already there. So in its basic form, you're not adding in any new genes. You're just tweaking with what is, in effect, uh, a molecular scissors. And it allows you to edit and change how a gene performs. So there's an awful lot of research going into this at the moment all around the world, phenomenal amount of work. And what they're doing is they're starting to understand more and more about all the basic processes in a plant. So as you just said, nitrogen utilization, fixation, yield enhancement, disease resistance, all these sorts of things. But the literature is actually got examples of these traits being improved now through gene editing. So so you're spot on. It's 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 not blue skies thinking anymore. It's becoming more tangible and more realistic. Um, and what we're seeing is at a European level, there's very I suppose, intense discussions going on in Brussels at the moment uh, in regard to, to gene editing and how can, I suppose, the landscape in terms of authorizations and approvals, how can that be achieved while guaranteeing all the other things that we need for our food systems as well? You and I'll be going home after the program to have my supper, and there'll be a, there'll be some spuds on the menu. We could, if we wanted to, at this stage, uh, deliver potato crops that would have had half the the crop protection uh, that, that's normally engaged in. That has to be engaged in to prevent blight. We could have that in the morning if if public and 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 political entities decided so. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we look back, it was actually 10 years ago when we did those um, uh, trials in Oak Park, uh, 2013 to 2015, and we were using what was called an, a, a new breeding technique at the time. It's more, it's almost, well, it's not new anymore, um, but that particular technique developed a potato that was late light resistant and reduced the sprays from 13 down to 1, so over three years. So automatically, with a technique like that, and it is only a technique, because what it allowed uh, the team to do was introduce a gene from a wild potato into a conventional potato. So it's not, it's not the kind of classical approach that people would maybe have seen with Monsanto and previous um, and stakeholder companies where they're maybe taking a gene from a daffodil and putting it into a barley plant or something that would never happen through nature. So you can do these techniques and you can make a real impact in terms of reducing inputs. Oh, and I've strayed you a long way from the Tillage Conference. Give me the ad. What time and date and place? So it's uh, January the 31st, uh, Wednesday, in the Lyrat. The doors open at 9am. The key thing, though, is that people must register on by the end of the day on Monday, January the 29th. Because when you register, you pick the workshop that you want to attend in the afternoon. So if you don't do that by Monday the 29th, we want to avoid people being disappointed uh, when they come to the door. So please, please register by Monday, the January the 29th, and we look forward to seeing everybody. Doors open at 9am, January 31st. You come in, you get your badge, get a cup of tea and coffee, and have a chat with the friends and colleagues before we start the session. Looking forward to it as ever. Ewan Mullins of Oak Park Research Centre, thank you very much for joining us this evening. 
The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. KCLR Mart Report. Sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart. Serving the farming community for over 60 years. That's your cue, George. Yes, Thais, this day and all, but it had no effect on price. Actually, a phenomenal price of the heifer ring. I don't know what went on. Uh, you'd wonder if cattle getting too dear. <laughs> That's an awful thing to say. But anyway, uh, 520 kilo, uh, 520 on offer today. Marginal larger than last week. A light store heifers peaked at 370 per kilo. Nice heifer, those limousines, though. Uh, beef bullocks to a top of 330. Even freezer bullocks, uh, Matt, today were up to 265 per kilo. And heifers showed 100% clearance with a bull- Bullocks and 99%. So 600 kilo plus bullocks range from 230 to 330 per kilo. That's 1470 to 2290 per head. Fight a 600 kilo bullock from 230 to 345 per kilo. 1160 to 1980 per head. 4 to 500 kilo bullock from 225 to €3.35 per kilo. That's 1010 to 1590 per head. With under 400 kilo from 190 to 360 per kilo or from 450 to 1100 and and, uh, twenty or 1220 per head. Apologies. Uh, Tuesday, of course, now is our, uh, our cow sale. A very good uh, trade on on Tuesday in Kilkenny. Frisian cull cows 125 to 235 per kilo. Continentals from 160 to 285 uh, per kilo. Uh, 285 was, uh, that was for a 905 kilo cow and she made 2580. Uh, beef heifers from 270 to 310 per kilo. 1400 euro to 1970 per head. Four store type 240 to 315 per kilo. 1080 to 1520 per head with a lighter store type from 2 euro to 370 per kilo 510 to 1140 per head that top price was for a limousine heifer 265 kilo 980 euro nice money if you can get it. <laughs> we got it. Uh, <laughs> on, on Monday, a red-hot trade for all sheep with lambs. And I don't know, well done to producers of uh, of lambs that are bringing them to Kilkenny at the moment because the quality is absolutely magnificent. Could use top to two euro, 215 euro per head. And lots of disappointed farmers and buyers went home without uh, order filling their orders. 100% clearance once again. Butcher lambs there, 150 to 177 per head. Fact Factory type from 129 to 155 per head. Store lands from 95 to 128 per head. Cull use from 74 to 215 per head. And talking about ewes, this Monday in Kilkenny we have a special clearance sale of 70 circular cross ewes in lamb to pedigree Charlie Ram scanned with 21 singles. 42 twins, 5 triplets, a lambing from the 1st of March to a pedigree chalet, and a sad sale on next Monday. Uh, the, the entire herd, the property of late Mary Butler Erdley, who died suddenly in November, it's her 37 in calf stock, dispersal sale, uh, all the stock are pedigree registered, all from a closed herd. And they're in the top 4% of the, uh, top EBI, uh, and they're in the top 4% on, in the country. Uh, finalized catalog will be available from tomorrow. So if you want to have a look at that before the sale, you'll be more than welcome. But uh, all in all, on the, uh, as I said, that's a sad sale, Matt, but, um, hopefully there'll be plenty of people to buy those quality stock. And we have some, uh, calf cows also to start the sale. So there's about calf, there'll be about, uh, 30 calf animals initially, uh, followed by that clearance sale for the late Mary Erdley. Martin, thank you very much for producing and engineering. George, thank you very much uh, for your report and thanks to everyone who contributed this week. Until next week, farm well, farm safely. Good night and goodbye.
The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.